0: So I'm Tommy, the pastor here. Um, glad you guys are here today. So this, this is my uh, tape measure. Looks familiar to some of you. If it doesn't, I don't know what to tell you. But you just have to trust me. So this is this is um, let me find something on here. Okay, 80 right here, 80. This is the average lifespan of a uh, person in America. 80 years. All right, 80 years. This, this is the average lifespan of an American. You have from, from this day until this day uh, to live your life on average. Now, some more, some less. I get that. But this is basically the average lifespan for an American. And so we're talking about fighting battles. And so I was just thinking, like, what, what have we done with this life that we have been given? What are we doing with this? This is what we got. What are we doing with it? And so I found my age on here, I'm um, 45, I know I don't look it, (laughs) I get it, Um, 45, there's me right there, and so this is, this is what I've had so far, right, this is me so far. And so I started thinking, in in these 45 years, I've, I've had some things, I've had some memories, right, there's been some things, there's been some good things, been some really good things in 45 years, like I remember uh, my wedding day, that was a good thing, Um, my wedding night was a good thing. Um, it's all right we're adults some of some of us um, I remember uh, Caden and I my son Caden and I. we've eaten probably I don't know 16 or 17,000 chicken wings together we love chicken wings and so that's fun that's fun memories we love chicken wings I remember the day Kinley was born I remember being in the room and it is like super gross but it's also beautiful in a lot of ways but <laughs> Y'all want to hear something funny? The first thing I told Christy, this is true, and she'll vouch for it, the first thing I said when I had my newborn daughter in my hands was, we will never do that again. (laughs) Because I'm that guy. She's like, we? (laughs) I've had some good memories, right? I've done some good, There, there have been times in my life, like spiritually speaking, when I have fought the good fight. When I have done good because uh, my desire was pure, uh, because I loved God, like moments of holiness of heart and mind, where I was on the right side of the right battle for the right reasons. Moments that when I see Jesus, I cannot wait to talk to him about. There's gonna be some moments where I'm gonna be like, Jesus, you remember when? He's gonna be like, yeah, you know, I remember. But then there's also some moments in this timeline that I wish weren't there. Some moments where I didn't do the right thing, some moments I regret. There were moments of prejudice and moments of pride and moments where my insecurity overpowered me and moments where fear overpowered me and moments where not only was I an enemy of Christ, but I was standing between God and and, and ushering in his kingdom into this world. Like I was an obstacle that the kingdom of God was having to go around. There were moments in my life that I wish weren't there. And if you're honest, I bet many of you share those moments too. And so one of my favorite things about Jesus, this is 45 right here. You know what Jesus tells me to do with these moments? All the ones that have happened so far, forget about them. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that these moments, those, those first 45 don't have to define the next 35, that those moments, he, he, I love the way he says in Philippians 3.13, he's saying this through Paul, and Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. We should listen when he talks. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forget about what's behind and strain towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What Paul says is you must forget about that, and you must strain towards what's ahead, and this is what's ahead of me. This next, this is what I've got left. This is what's ahead of me. And like, I believe what I'm about to tell you more than almost anything else. And I think about this, and it's something that resonates in my mind all the time. What matters the most in your life is what you do next. What matters the most in your life is what you do next. And I don't care if you are, if you are retired, if you're seven years old, if you're 10 years old, if you're married, if, if you've been addicted, if you've struggled, whatever, whatever is in your world, what matters the most is what you do next. Too many of us are too bogged down in that, the thing we're supposed to forget about and God is saying, no, I've still given you something and what you do next matters. What battle will you fight next? because I believe we were put here to fight battles. As a matter of fact, that song we sang, uh, Surrounded, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by, yeah. Y'all remember that one? And then then we repeat it, yeah. And we repeat it. Um, There's a verse in there, and it's from Psalm 23. Throw that one on the screen for me. It says, uh, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Did y'all catch that? You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies, like, wouldn't it have been easier if you had prepared a table for you in the presence of your friends? Like, oh, thanks, God, for the table in the presence of my enemies. I mean, I like, the, I like my Thanksgiving table. I had very few enemies there. Um, one of my brothers got a little snippy, but other than that, we were pretty cool. I mean, it was table of my friends, right? But he says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Why? Because he wants us to spend some portion of this time fighting battles. The reason he's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies is because he is training us to fight. He's training us for a battle. I mean, there are so many things I want to say about this. Like when I first wrote this message this week, um, I had, I think I made 1,100 points. And then I was like, I don't think I can hold their attention for 1,100 points. So I just started cutting things out. And we're going to come back to this over this year because I think this war pain and this battle, I think it's stuff we need to get. But today, I just want to camp out for just a minute in where we left off last week. You know, so y'all remember last week we we were in the Gospel of Luke. And, um... And uh, Jesus had, had come in, he'd been through his temptation in the, in the desert where he was tempted by Satan, he'd been baptized, and then he comes home and he walks into a temple, he's in the sacred place, and they hand him a sacred scroll, do y'all remember this from your last week? And Jesus reads, and remember what he's doing with this, with, when he's in there? He's picking a fight. Y'all remember what all the people should have been saying? Fight, 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 thank you, <laughs> thank you. Oh gosh, you guys. I love y'all. <laughs> Luke four seventeen. <laughs> and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written: The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed Free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he looked at them and said, "Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." Okay, so I learned something this week. There, there's a passage. Is it up? All right. Is it a? Uh, go back one for me, if you don't mind. It says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So ho- hold that thought in your mind for a second. Okay. So about, I don't know, three months ago, I came to Dusty Hardy and Rachel Jones, and they lead worship here, and I came to them and I asked them to do something very, very simple for me. I said, will you please sing the song Jubilee? And it's it's a Maverick City song, and they were like, oh, it's too hard, we can't do it, and all this kind of stuff. And they refused to do it. I asked them multiple times, um, and they denied me, uh, you, know, you know how Rachel, she was like, gave me that look, you know, and Dusty just walked what. So I asked them so many times to sing the song, I said, please sing Jubilee, please sing Jubilee, please sing Jubilee. No, no, no. Finally, after I reminded them who signed their checks, they decided—it's actually Amber, I think Amber's—good <laughs> job, Amber. <laughs> Um, But So like, finally they agreed to sing Jubilee. All right, so you you got that. They finally agreed. So we're going to end this morning with a song from Maverick City called Jubilee. I told the twins, it's my favorite song. It is awesome. Uh, And so we're going to sing that. All right, so we're going to end today with a song called Jubilee. Then I begin to write this sermon. This is how cool God is. I begin to write this sermon, and it says, "...to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And so I started doing some homework because I feel like I should as your pastor. So I started doing some Bible homework. And so he is quoting Isaiah, right? When he says the year of the Lord's favor, he's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah is referencing Leviticus. There is an event that happens in Leviticus that's actually called the year of the Lord's favor, but it goes by another name. Can anyone guess what the name of the year of the Lord's favor is? No, no, I'm kidding. Yes. Jubilee. Isn't that crazy? And so let, let, so let me tell y'all, so we're going to we're sing Jubilee, and now I'm writing a sermon about war paint, but I realize I'm writing a sermon about Jubilee, and I was like, I don't even know if we really know what Jubilee is. So let, let me explain Jubilee to you. In the Hebrew custom, um, there was a Levitical law that said every seven cycles of seven years— so every 50th year, there would be 49 years. On the 50th year, there would be a year of Jubilee. And on Jubilee year, what would happen was all debts would be erased. This was like a system to balance their economy or something. All debts would be erased. All slaves would be set free. All property would be returned to its original owners. Every for Forgiveness, debts, are gone every... like It would be a year where the slate was wiped clean. And so the people were always waiting for jubilee. Now, here's the funny part. There's no record that it ever happened. In the Bible, he's saying, I want you to have this jubilee, but there's no record of there ever actually being a jubilee year. Why do you think that is? Yes. Brilliant. (laughs) If someone owes you $1,000, you want to cancel that debt? If you have slaves and your slaves are building for you, do you want to set them free? So every 50th year would come around and they'd be like, you know what? Let's delay this thing another 50. What do you say? I mean, because nobody wanted to do Jubilee. Nobody wanted to let the captives free. Nobody wanted to erase the debts. And if you were smart, think about it, You would have like, on year 49 and a half, you'd have borrowed money from everybody. Like, let me get five bucks. Let me get 10 bucks. And then on 50 ha, <laughs> suckers, not paying anybody back. And so everyone saw the flaws in this system or whatever. So there was never actually a Jubilee year on record that we know about. But the people were always waiting for it, to have their debts erased, to have the captives set free. And then Jesus shows up. This is where it gets really cool. Jesus reads this verse, a verse about Jubilee. And then he says, the year of the Lord's favor, it's now fulfilled in your hearing. YOU KNOW WHAT JESUS IS TELLING THEM? I AM JUBILEE. I AM JUBILEE. THAT THE CAPTIVES WOULD BE SET FREE. THAT DEBTS WOULD BE ERASED. THAT FORGIVENESS WOULD HAPPEN. Jesus isn't talking about like a, a government jubilee or an economy. He's talking about a spiritual, eternal jubilee. The battle Christ came to fight was a battle that would give freedom forever. Eternal jubilee was the reward of the battle Christ came to fight. And I was like, that is cool. Because he came, he says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. When you begin to look at how Jesus fought this jubilee battle, he proclaimed good news to the poor. He fought against spiritual poverty by addressing physical poverty. I think this is something that the church sometimes misses. He fought spiritual poverty, good news for the poor, spiritual condition, but he fought that by addressing physical poverty. Listen, in Matthew 25, this is how Jesus described it. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When do we feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king this is Jesus talking, and he's referring to himself as the king. And the king will reply, "'Truly I tell you, whatever you did for me, whatever you did for the least of one of my brothers, you did for me. Whatever you did for the least of one of my brothers, you did for me.'" Jubilee. Freedom from poverty by addressing actual poverty. Jesus didn't just sit there and go, "'Hey, I'm praying for you.'" People are like, "'I'm poor, I'm hungry, I'm cold.'" Jesus didn't say, "'Well, I'm praying for you, brother.'" Good luck with that. He addressed their actual need. But he didn't just do that. He also came to fight another battle. It says, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Do y'all know why there's oppression in this world? Why is there racism in this world? Why is there guilt and greed in this world? Why is there poverty in this world? Why is there oppression in this world? It's a one-word answer. Do you know what the answer is? Sin. Sin. So listen to what Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. sins. And so Jesus comes to fight a battle for our jubilee, for our freedom, for the erasing of our debts. And he does it by addressing physical poverty so that he can address spiritual poverty. And he goes to war with sin. So if we are to be Jubilee for the world, because we are to be Christ for the world. Christ came to give freedom from the world, and now he's giving freedom to the world through us. If we are to be Christ for the world, we should probably address things in the way Christ did. And so it means we deal with the sin in our lives. The first way we fight this battle, the first way we bring Jubilee to the world is by dealing with the sin in our lives. Sometimes we want to go deal with the sin in other people's lives, But what Christ wants to do first is deal with the sin in our lives. And it becomes so easy to justify the sin in our lives. Oh, it's just a little sin. It's not really a big deal. Or we compare ourselves to other people. I know y'all, none of us have ever done that. But some people will be like, you know, well, at least I'm not blah, blah, blah. Insert whatever sin you haven't committed on that particular day. At least I'm not doing my... And I think Jesus gets so annoyed when we say that. I think Jesus is like, first off, I love the person you're comparing yourself to. Second off, you should be comparing yourself to me, not them. And when we get that, it begins to change the way we think. We have to deal with the sin in our lives. We can't give sin a home. And, and we have to deal with the social woes of the world. This is not an either or thing. Like there's, I think there's some churches that are really, really good at providing social help for people. But they never say anything about Jesus. As a matter of fact, they've seemed to come up with theology that says Jesus is all sorts of different things or every road. And so they're really, really good at helping people, but they're not so good at telling people about Jesus. Almost as if they're ashamed about Jesus. And if you're helping people without telling them about Jesus, you're really not doing them any long-term good. And there's other churches that seems like have wonderful theology. Every single member, and everyone knows who's a member and who's not a member, and every member has every word of the Bible memorized but they've never done anything nice for anyone outside of the church. And I think what Jesus is calling us to is both, where we hold good theology while we love the world. We hold to the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way, and there is no way outside of him, while loving the world in the way that Christ loved us. And it's when we do the two things at once, that's when we set the people free. And so we must do both. And tell, tell me if, if this relates to you guys or if you've thought about this. It's hard out there right now, isn't it? I've, I've, I've got a label for this, and I don't know if I made this up or read it somewhere. I probably read it somewhere, but I call it post-corona stress syndrome. You know what I mean? Like, do, Doesn't it feel like anxiety and depression is higher than it's ever been? Like the level of fear is higher than it's ever been? The level of division and mistrust and is higher than it's ever been. I mean, I'm seeing this play out in the lives of adults, and I'm, I'm seeing this play out in the lives of kids, just this heightened level of anxiety and fear. It's almost like the world is captive. The world right now in this country is captive to fear. Not only that, the economy is, is in a difficult spot right now. Inflation is up. And so, so many people are are captive. Poverty is on the rise again. And so, people are are slaves to their money. And so, if you're poor, man, there's some really bad news. And the bad news is the price of bread just doubled. And so, there's bad news out there, and, and there's fear, and there's oppression, there's death. Like, over the last two years, I have seen more death than I saw in my first 45 years combined. I mean, I saw natural things, you know, happen, but I also saw corona. And so it's like so much bad news. And in the midst of that world, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is our message for a world that's captive it's jubilee this christmas guys what are you willing to do we're about to start our christmas series about to start the christmas season for the purpose of being used by god to bring jubilee to the world are you willing to deal with the sin in your own life are you willing to to use your freedom to protect the people christ gave his life to save are we willing to be the people that God will use? Man, look around this community. You don't have to drive far from this building to see anxiety and depression. Matter of fact, it's in this room right now. It's in this room right now. People scared to death, man. I've, I've experienced, I've experienced the, the, some of the, some of the m- most anxiety of my life in the last two years. Maybe you have too. What are we doing about it? If you're sowing seeds of dissension right now, if if all you're doing is railing against the government and the economy, then you're not helping the problem. Because the truth is, we know that the government and the economy will never bring the Jubilee that people really need. That it's only through Christ that this actually becomes possible. And so we have to be a different voice in a scary world. We have to be a voice of peace and a voice of hope and a voice of love and a voice of freedom. And how can we do that? Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. We can deal with the real issues of the world so that Christ may use us to deal with the spiritual issues of the world. But we read this verse. You know what we do? We want to study it. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I wonder what Jesus means by hungry. I wonder what hungry meant for Jewish people. When Jesus says give them something to eat, I wonder if he means that's like a spiritual metaphor for peace. No, it's food! (laughs) It's a cracker. (laughs) It's not a spiritual metaphor for peace. He means if you see someone who is hungry, you give them something to eat. I wonder what he means by clothe them. Hmm, perhaps he means to envelop them. No, clothes meant clothes even back then. They didn't have the banana factory. They had like a date factory. or huh? I don't know. Like we, we want to over, let him handle some of the spiritual stuff while we handle the physical stuff. There's so much stuff we could do to make the world better so much stuff feed the hungry give I needed clothes and you clothed me I was sick and you looked after me I was in prison guys there is a lady in this church I've got a good friend of mine who, who spent a lot of time in prison there's a lady in this church who who writes him a letter every week he's never seen her face he writes she writes him a letter every week do you know how much that means to my friend that some lady writes him a letter every week. Do you know how many things there are a week? And we're doing some of these things, right? We're serving homeless people. There's a group of people who go out every week and they pack things and they serve things. And, and, and we help people pay bills. And we've done that. As a matter of fact, the other day, someone called and said, uh, I think it was Pam Duncan, said there's a, there's a prison that needs 2,000 pairs of socks. It's a female prison. They need 2,000 pairs of white socks. And you know what we did? We made a committee and we voted on it. And we waited. No, we just bought the socks. And we sent them the socks, because we saw a need, and we stepped in, and we met that need. And the church is doing that, and you can do that, too. You can do that. We are, we are the church. I mean, I mean, it's true, like, there are so many things we can do. We, we just helped a company, like this organization — I went to this retreat, and I met these folks, and they have started this deal where they help orphans in Africa become entrepreneurs. First off, that's genius. We helped them. I met this other lady who said, hey, uh, I saw a need in New York City to open a shelter where where battered women could come and do Bible study. And she was was talking about it, and I was like, hey, guess what? Our church is buying furniture for that place. And she was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. She goes, do y'all need to vote on it? And I said, we just did, Jubilee we're doing it we are helping people we we are helping people this is how we're spending our money but you don't have to make it a church initiative to help someone open your eyes in your neighborhood you know someone who's lost a loved one love them you can see people who have no food feed them you know people who need clothes clothe them this isn't brain surgery guys this is what we exist to do. And every time, the, the thing we're doing for kids, said 83 kids in this community are without Christmas presents. Not anymore. Jubilee. We're going to make sure they have presents because that's what we exist to do. We are going to purchase proximity by meeting a physical need so that God might work through us to meet a spiritual need because that's why we exist in this world this is who we are and this is what we are going to do and don't overthink it. Where you see pain, go towards it. Where you hear pain, go towards it. When you see a problem in the world, go and make it better. I I know I've told you this a thousand times, but I'm going to say it every time I talk about this because it's funny to me. And it's none of y'all. It is, it's it's one of y'all. But someone called me one day and said, my neighbor needs their lawn (laughs) mowed. And they called me. And I said, well, "That's fantastic. Um, do you have a lawnmower?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay. Well, here's what I would suggest doing: get on it and ride over there and run around in their yard. <laughs> Mow the lawn. Like you, we can do this. It's 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 why we're here. And so I hope this is what we'll do. And and I, I was thinking about this this week and. Revelation 20:11. this isn't on the screen, so y'all just listen up, but this is, this is good stuff. It says, "'Then I saw a great white throne "'and him who was seated on it. "'The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, "'and there was no place for them. "'And I saw the dead, great and small, "'standing before the throne, and books were opened. "'Another book was opened, which is the book of life. "'And the dead were judged according to what they had done "'as recorded in those books.'" So, so there's a book of life, which we are in, not because of any deed we have ever done, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We're in the book of life, not because of deeds. But one day we are going to stand in front of our Savior, and he's going to open a book, and he's going to talk to us about what we've done. What's that day going to be like for you? What are you going to tell him? Your deeds aren't what save you. I'm not saying that. That's not what this is saying. Christ saved you. But one day we will stand in front of the God who gave his life for us, and he will look at us and say, what did you do with the life I gave you? What are you going to tell him? Don't you want to have some stories to share with impact? And don't worry about that. This is behind us. This is nothing. This is dust. What you do next is what matters. What you do next is all that matters, and so it matters how you worship God, and it matters how you give, and it matters how you serve, and it matters how you pray, and it matters how you love, and it matters how you take care of people who have no one else to take care of them. Because one day we will stand in front of Christ, and all that will matter is that he looks and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. What you did next changed the world. What you did next mattered. What you did next showed me that what you claimed to believe was the truth. Jubilee. Set the prisoners free. Recovery of sight for the blind. To meet the physical needs of the world so that Christ might work through us to meet their spiritual needs. I don't know what you've done thus far, and it really doesn't matter but what you do next does. God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for what you do. God, I thank you that you work through people like us. Lord, there is so much, so much in my past that I wish wasn't there. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful that you have taken that from me. God, you are Jubilee. You are freedom for the prisoners. God, you are the one who sets the captive free. God, you are the healer of disease. You are the restorer of marriages. You are the one who overcomes addiction. You are the one who gives the homeless a family. God, you are the one who who unites. You are the one who brings together... You're the one who creates life where there was death. You are freedom. And that freedom should be apparent to the world through us. So God, give us the strength to deal with our sin and to meet their needs. We're seated at a table. God, we're seated at a table in the presence of our enemies. And our enemies in this community are division poverty and hopelessness our enemies in this community are the are the idea that this moment is my forever and this moment will never pass our enemies in this community are people who feel like they're walking alone are people who feel like they're defined by their past our enemies in this community god are everything that's coming against your people and so god we love them God, we love them. We show them that we love them. We show them that this moment is not there forever. We show them that life is not hopeless. We show them that their past has not defined them. We meet their physical needs so that you might meet their spiritual needs. God, give us eyes to see pain. And give us the heart to do something about it. We love you and we trust you. It's Jubilee, God. It's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen.
1: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm anointed to bring hope. The promise fulfilled in a moment. We're still watching there's good news for the captive proclamation for every soul. People.